My name is Dr. Ian Storch. I'm a board-certified gastroenterologist and osteopathic physician, and you are listening to DO or Do Not. If you're interested in joining our team or have suggestions or comments, please contact us at doordonotpodcast.com. Share our link with your friends and like us on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Do or Do Not. Today we have a fun episode for you guys. It's Dr. Amir Olvat, Do, interventional radiologist resident. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, no problem. No problem. We seek out the best, and you're one of them. <laughs> that means a lot. That means a lot. So uh, tell tell me in the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So uh, I'm originally a California native. I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, and after that, I, uh, went to college down at Chapman university. It's, um, a film school, but I went down there and, uh, transitioned from there up to do medical school in the Hudson Valley at Torocom Middletown, and then did, uh, my prelim year in New York city. And now I am at the Ohio state and I say the, because it matters. And I'm doing IR here, interventional radiology. Wait, did you say that Chapman was a video school? It's a film school actually. Oh, it's a film school. And did you ever try to pursue that? Yeah, I, I had these thoughts initially that I would somehow end up on that path. But I transitioned from a, a major in uh, like I was doing a minor in photography and I started off with psychology and ended up in biochemistry. That is a big jump. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad you, you uh, kind of went into what you wanted to do. Yeah, it takes a while. You know, it takes a while to find yourself. For sure. So now that you mentioned that, like, were you kind of thinking all throughout your life you wanted to do, you know, medicine and be a physician while you were growing up? I, when I was in high school, I did. I, I initially, my dad always wanted me to be a lawyer and he, he always said like an international lawyer that would be like amazing to be. I had no idea what that meant or what that presented with, but unfortunately my dad ended up in the hospital a lot of my youth. And so that presented with the opportunity of going to the hospital and volunteering. And that's when I got interested in medicine. Wow. I'm sorry to hear that. It's okay. I mean, he's doing fine right now, sort of, but, um, but yeah, uh, that's what made, made me who I am. And it's a part of me. Yeah. That I feel like every, every medical student has a story or most, and, you know, some are, some are, you know, along the path that, you know, yours kind of came from and, uh, I'm sorry that you had to go through that, but I'm glad that it made you the person you are today. Yeah. And I, th I think that makes a better relationship with your patients. You understand what's going on and you know, there's more to humans than just treating them. There's that social aspect. I agree. I agree. Well, speaking about the hospital, while you were there, did you encounter or, you know, during your time growing up or anything, did you encounter an osteopathic physician that kind of, you know, struck your interest into osteop osteopathic medicine? So the first time I got exposed to osteopathy, uh, osteopathic medicine in general was in college when I started shadowing a physician. Um, I think it was my junior year of college, and he was the first physician that I realized there's a difference between DO and MD. And he really took me under his wing and taught me what it is to be a physician and the social aspect behind it. So you talked about the difference between MD and DO. What is that difference to you? So it's it's looking at the body as a whole and completely understanding what's behind it 
And I mean, nowadays we, we try and like not put this separation behind them because a physician is a physician, but there is that whole mindset of, Hey, a problem could be as much as you like to see, like someone's having chest pain, it could be from another source rather than what you're delving into. And there could be a psychiatric source behind it. There could be something else. And it's looking at the body as a whole picture rather than just melting it down into it's got to be from this this explanation. Agreed. I believe that osteopathic medicine has its own philosophy. Of course, we follow the philosophy of medicine like MDs do. And, you know, we all follow the that same philosophy. But we do kind of have like our own little umbrella of uh, osteopathic uh, philosophies and manipulations and everything. Yeah. And I, I feel like every, uh, every like specialty, I mean, you, en- you end up a DO and then you go into these allopathic like specialties, uh, like, uh, like for example, if you go to ophthalmology or something and you can take that with you, that same philosophy. Exactly. So that was the first time you heard about osteopathic medicine was shadowing, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Did you apply to any allopathic or even any foreign medical schools? So actually, this is a very interesting question because I uh, I was grad at the end of undergrad. I was thinking about applying to medical school, but my counsel counselor told me no, it's not a good idea, and you're not going to get in. She was very discouraging, and my my thought throughout all of my life has been: there's always a solution to problem. There's something you can get. You can find a solution to any kind of problem. And my thought was: hey, maybe maybe I am not cut out for medicine. Maybe let's just think about that for a second. So I actually applied to a master's program at Torocom Middletown and as, as a way to test uh, whether I'm ready and able to do that. After that, I actually uh, did my first semester in the master's program and I was, uh, they kind of, what we call it over there is bumped me up because uh, a, ki- a student dropped out. So they pu- skipped us. I, after one semester, I was led into the DO program. So I never really applied to medical school. Really? Did they did they do that to multiple students, or were you the only one? Uh, there was three of us. Uh, they ranked us on a, uh, I think it was like sixty or seventy of us, and they ranked us. And I was fortunate enough to be a good star student, where I was number one, and they put me in the class. Uh, it's it's just uh, what happened. I, I I feel like I was just studying. That's all I was doing. Well, congrats. Congrats. That's, that's awesome. I've never even heard of that, but that's, that's great that you got that opportunity. Yeah. So let's talk about once you're in medical school. So you were, you know, you're in New York, what was medical school like for you in New York? And while in medical school, what were some of your best and worst experiences? So a a lot of it stems from my, my first semester after I, after I got in from the master's program to the DO program, I had my second semester crunching all the, I had OMM one and OMM two at the same time. So I was taking so many units of classes that I would leave class at like 8 PM. I was doing a very accelerated process to catch up. And that semester was one of the worst semesters, but it was very grueling. Overall, I still, medical school is tough, but it also teaches you how to approach academia. So you briefly mentioned OMM1 and OMM2. What are those? So uh, osteopathic medicine is throughout the whole course of your medical school. In osteopathic school, you have uh, OMM1 you take. It's You're getting like the brief introduction. OMM2, you're um, learning how it's applicable to medicine. And this is all 
uh, all an encompassing curriculum, especially throughout your first two years. Thanks for clarifying that. As a DO student myself, I I knew that, but we have to clarify just for the audience. No, I completely understand that. Now that you were, you know, you finished that first year, talked about a little bit of the second year, you go into clinical rotations. How was that for you? And would you give your past self any sort of advice? Would you change anything that you did? My rotations, I, I was, I guess, in a way, I was happy that I was able to do it in New York City, where you get that broad experience. One thing that I appreciated about my rotations was that they were at community hospitals. Now, some people are like, wouldn't you want them at an academic place? But you get you really get more experience at these community hospitals because they don't have anyone else doing uh, what you can do. I remember one of my rotations, actually, it, it was an IR rotation at a community hospital. And I was doing all the biopsies with the attending because there's no one else there. And you're gaining this like very hands-on experience because there's no one else there. I can definitely speak for that. That That's one thing that osteopathic medical schools have that were just more so in rural areas, closer to community hospitals and rural hospitals that you know don't have the specialists uh, on hand or whatnot, or don't have the manpower that like these, you know, level one trauma centers or bigger hospitals have. So the med students or medical students really do have that opportunity to do a lot more and get a lot more hands-on experience. Yeah. And, and understanding that difference is something that some people don't like knowing that there's these community hospitals that don't have that support staff is also something that it's, it's amazing to get an experience and to understand. I definitely agree with you. Let's actually go back a step. I skipped one step and <laughs> speaking of steps, I skipped the step. Did you take step one? And uh, did you also, how did you plan that out with your complex level one, the two board uh, exams? So I took step one and step two, and I took the complex exams. How did I plan it? I did it a week apart, if I remember, but my uh, step, my first time taking it got messed up because I got sick and had to replan it. But if I remember right, I think I took complex first and then step. But what's recommended is take step first and then take complex because in that between week, you can study the osteopathic material. You said recommended, recommended by who? Other students or? Other students, yeah. It's just uh, because uh, overall, step and complex have the same material that they're testing. Now, the questions are formatted in a different way, but overall, if you know content, you know the content and the questions shouldn't trip you up realistically. But recommended, it's in terms of, hey, if you study that osteopathic material within that week, you'll have that basic foundation from throughout the year where you can just put it all together and go take the exam. Well, you also have like that first two years of, you know, osteopathic medicine and manipulation, all the courses and philosophy that you learn. And if you really pay attention, that kind of goes into that exam as well. Kind of just leaving you with that one week gap that you're speaking of to kind of just hit all the important points one more time before you take that test. Yeah, exactly. Now that you kind of talked about step one going into, you know, did you take step two as well going into your uh, third and fourth years? Yeah, I actually, uh, I took it at the end of my third year. I remember I was on my OB rotation and I took it and I planned it a week apart. I just took both of them again. And I was, I mean, you really, you, after a while, you really, after taking so many exams, you're like, okay, this is just another 
exam I have to take and uh, same content, thankfully. A little bit just different formatting. That's it. So as a resident today in a competitive specialty, what most people today call a competitive specialty to match into, do you think that today osteopathic medical students should be taking both tests? And do you think it's specialty dependent? I would think of it as this is the core exam that most medical students take, the STEP exam. This is when you talk to a physician, they remember the STEP exam. And I think it's also the questions on the STEP exam are, they actually make you think at a higher level. No, I, I don't want to downplay anything about the NBOME, and, which is the abbreviation for the National Board of Osteopathic uh, Medical Examiners. But the STEP exams take you to a higher caliber of medical knowledge. And that, I think that's necessary, honestly. And I, I, don't, I don't think, I think program directors also realize that too. I, I just think it's a, it made me think more of a, like a physician. And I, I like that. I got you. Just speaking about your application process to uh, residency, how was that for you? And uh, when you were choosing your program, were you choosing kind of, you know, based on location or any other factors that you took into consideration? Uh, Location came to mind, but also how well-rounded the interventional program was and where I would gain my, the most skills. I wanted somewhere where I felt comfortable in an environment where the attendings could teach me hands-on experience. And like, I, I wanted to get that at an early stage. And that's how I, I did away rotations and realized the Ohio State was a good place for that. And when you were applying, did you already have in your mind that you wanted to do a preliminary year? And speaking of a preliminary year, what is that just for the pre-medical students on this episode, listening to this episode. Yeah. So certain specialties, I think more of the competitive ones and some of the, I can't just all say they're all competitive because I know PMNR sometimes does prelim years, but a prelim year is a year that you're getting just basic medicine. And it's so you can get adjusted to the hospital setting. Now you can do that in terms of a TY year. You can do that in terms of a general surgery year. You can even technically do that as an OBGYN. And you're basically just doing one year at a certain hospital, it can be the same hospital that you're staying at, but you basically do one year and it's just that specialty, whether it's just internal medicine or surgery in preparation for your subspecialization. Gotcha. And what made you choose? I saw um, that you chose general surgery and uh, what, what, what were the you know points that you kind of took away from doing that general surgery versus the IM and why did you choose general surgery? So I like to think of interventional radiology as a surgical subspecialty. And I think most people would agree upon that foundation that we are a surgical subspecialty. The thing about it is the surgical mindset is absolutely necessary in IR. I say that with we, we need to f- make sure that we're following up our patients. We're doing consults just like general surgeons. We're, uh, we're making sure that we have a clinic and a foundation for that. And uh, communicating with other departments and having that interdisciplinary foundation. And a lot of general surgery is where that stems from. Knowing that surgical mindset is absolutely necessary in interventional radiology. And I think the SIR even recommends it. Now, I know some people would stand against it and be like, hey, it doesn't make a difference in the long run. I mean, sure, you you could say that, but it's it's all about you and what you take away from your prelim year. And I think that mindset is a good mindset to take away. 
So speaking of your prelim year, I did see that you were intern of the year and got an award for that in the general surgery. Congrats on that. Thank you. Thank you. I do want to bring that up just because I do want to ask a question of how, even during your clinical rotations during a med student, as a med student, what did you do to stand out during these clinical rotations? And, you know, during your intern year and your audition rotation or whatever you had to do for interventional radiology before applying, what did you do to stand out? Yeah, that's a great question. So during my rotations, I, I stood out by understanding what like I mean every rotation is different you have a different attending but you really want to understand the environment you're in and uh, it takes a little bit of an emotional intelligence to know but you're basically trying to figure out hey this attending likes this stuff and I like learning this stuff and how can I tailor my educational knowledge to fit that and so uh, I would read up at night read up on whatever I was seeing the next day or expected to see I guess they would have those like pimping sessions. That's what they called it back then. Pimping means just like they're basically asking you questions. And I would try and answer them and just be very enthusiastic about anything I'm learning and always be engaged. That's that's very key. Just always be engaged on whatever rotation you're on and be interested because the more you're engaged, the more you'll learn. And if you don't like a certain thing, it's most likely because you're not good at it. And that's that's not to say anything bad, but like most people don't like what they're not good at. So if you start liking it, you'll start getting good at it and it'll turn into like a good cycle. I definitely agree with that. And I do have to add that if someone were to ask you a question and you don't know it, say that you don't know it and just say that you will look it up and go look it up in extensive detail. Yes, that's very true. That's, that's absolutely key. And, and that's just a learning point for the rest of your life, no matter what. Whenever someone asks you a question, you don't know it. Go look it up. Exactly, exactly. I do want to kind of delve into your CV a little bit. I saw that you have a lot of research under your belt already as a PGY2. Uh, am I correct on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think other people might have more. I did, I did a lot of stuff in my uh, medical school days. And then on my away, away rotations, I did some research too. Is that something that you want to continue? And do you think that interventional radiology is a, you know, a research-heavy field? I mean, it depends on what hospital. I mean, most, most of the hospital systems that have an IR program are academic. I mean, there are some community hospitals that have it as well. But academia is a key part of IR. We're a very innovative field. So we require that research, in essence, to make it more and more innovative. Agreed, especially since it isn't for the listeners, isn't uh, interventional radiology just kind of in its newer phases as a residency, like kind of coming out from uh, diagnostic radiology and whatnot? Yeah, I don't remember exactly the date that it was switched over, but I think it was four or five years ago. That's it. Yeah, it, it's separation has uh, start was more recent. It's It's been a field for a very long time, but um, the actual residency itself separating has been new. <clears throat> so kind of just going into some random questions, just talking about pre-medical students and medical students, what would be kind of like your advice? One of their main questions is always about cost of medical education. How did you live, you know, during med school? How do you live during your residency currently? Cause you know, they all see shows and everything and see kind of eating protein bars and eating nothing throughout the day. What do you do? And what did you do during med school? 
I mean, I still to this day live like a student. It, it's not not like living harshly in these environments. I still live comfortably. It's just knowing what's necessary and what's not necessary to have. And some things are just like it's it's seems like a luxury to have. Is it required? No. Yes, you can still delve into things that you like, but it's knowing exactly what's required and where you can budget. And that's important. Budgeting is actually, I started doing it as a med student. I budgeted, found out what I have and how much I have and how I can split that. Especially fourth year when you're doing all these away rotations, budgeting is key. I guess now nowadays it's different because you can't because of COVID, but um, it's still key. Yeah, COVID definitely changed a lot of things, but um, hopefully it'll go back to the normal, um, you know, normalcy. But so kind of going into cost again, you know, just looking back at what you owe, like the debt, would you do it all over again? I mean, that, that uh, I love that question just because I always think about uh, someone I really admire. Why is it slipping his name right now? But in one of his uh, speeches, someone asked, uh, it was a graduation speech. Uh, he was an ER doctor. Why am I forgetting his name? He basically asked, someone asked him like, hey, would you do it again? And he said, absolutely no, I would never do this again. He says, wait, let me preference this with something. I wouldn't not do it once because honestly, it feels like we've had a lifetime worth of experiences that experience is invaluable. You can never get that experience anywhere else. The stuff we've seen, the stuff, the emotional aspect of medicine that we've experienced, some people will never experience. And it's key to be there, to be able to hold a patient or to promise or be like, hey, I'm going to be able to help you. That's important. It really is. And I believe that's a face of medicine that, you know, most people just see when they're in med school and, you know, beyond. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, kind of going into your personal life, I, I just wanted to ask, and I'm sure all the audience would love to know, you know, how do you maintain work-life balance? And do you even have time for hobbies? If you do, what are they? Work-life balance is important. I mean, thank God I'm in uh, radiology now where I can maintain a work-life balance. My hobbies, I'd say starting off with, uh, I go on a lot of bike rides. I cycle a lot. And that's one thing I do. Ohio's winter does not help with that, but on the summer, I like doing that. Photography has been this passion of mine, but unfortunately, I put that aside while I was in med school, and I haven't been able to do that as much, um, but goal is to hopefully get back to it. Actually, one thing that I just recently got into is DJing on the side. I love music festivals. I like house music in general, and so I bought a Pioneer DJ set and started uh, DJing with that. Okay, okay. I like that. So I kind of want to talk about osteopathic medicine and you as a resident, you being a DO, has it influenced your work as a resident or your approach to patients? And is it something that you kind of try to incorporate into your practice or philosophy? I would say less so. I mean, in radiology, how it's helped me is in knowing anatomy. When you go into DO school, anatomy is a huge emphasis. Why? Because most of the osteopathic principles and the ideas of how to help a patient osteopathically are based on knowing the anatomy very well. So when I, what I excelled in in medical school was actually anatomy. And so that, that helps me in radiology, being able to identify stuff, knowing where uh, landmarks and things are. I see most of my skills applied to in interventional radiology, actually just being able to touch patients and being able to figure out what's going on. It, it just, it helps in that respect of 
being able to palpate landmarks and knowing things about how to get access to certain things based on landmarks. I definitely can second that and echo it. It comes into handy for a lot of procedures. You know, the philosophy and everything is great. Uh, osteopathic medicine is amazing. I wouldn't have gone into it if, you know, I didn't think so, but uh, definitely you're right about that. Uh, it really did help with the anatomy. And if you were good at it, it definitely helps with landmarks. I go through that in the ER all the time. So I kind of want to end on a really great question that I ask everyone. And uh, I want to ask you, what is the best piece of advice that you've gone in throughout your education or even from growing up, college, medical school, whatever, whatever piece of advice that you can think of that you always thought of and would like to pass on to other students? Yeah. And first, before we start this, I just want to say that that doctor that I was talking about was Dr. Z Dog MD, Dr. Zubin. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And most people know him. But um, anyways, going back to my uh, my best piece of advice is, I mean, I, I guess the most important thing is find out if medicine is your true passion. And it, that's key. If you can do something else and be happy, uh, do that. But medicine is a lifelong learning process that you really have to put your all your efforts towards. Going along with that, that's that's what a doctor once told me. And I, I truly, that's how I knew I wanted to do medicine. Piece of advice I can do, be yourself. Find out who you really are. Follow that. And you can achieve anything as long as you set your mind to it. And I know that sounds corny. You really can. You can do anything. Uh, just keep going towards it and it'll fall into place. Beautifully said. Thank you, Dr. Olfat, for being on the podcast. Everyone, uh, please, if you haven't already, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, and uh, follow us on Facebook. See you next time. This concludes our episode of Do or Do Not. Send all inquiries, comments, suggestions, and even let us know if there's someone you want us to interview to do or do not podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at do or do not podcast for updates. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share it with your classmates and administration. We have plenty of more interviews lined up and we're excited to share them with you. This is Tian Yu Shea. Thank you guys so much for listening to do or do not.